welcome to another episode of Two Guys in a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. I'm Craig. And today we decided to go in a bit of a different direction. We felt like Italian tonight. So, uh, <laughs> a good uh, two hours and six minutes of Italian, right? Yeah, yeah. This is a movie called Deep Red. It is a very popular, famous movie, especially when it came out. It was a huge hit internationally uh, by a fellow named Dario Argento, who many of our listeners probably, if they haven't seen Deep Red, uh, they've probably heard of Suspiria, which is the one that uh, you, I think, had... Have you seen Suspiria? Yes. Okay. It's, it's, that's, and I'm in that boat. I mean, I, I know that he's pretty prolific as a filmmaker, but that's the one... I don't know if I've seen any others. That's the one I'm certain I've seen. And now this one. Yeah. <laughs> and Suspiria and this one all sort of fall from a similar genre called giallo. Right. And giallo is the Italian word for yellow. And uh, it's has its origins, actually, in a certain kind of literature, kind of pulp novel that was really popular in the 60s, uh, in the 70s, and Giallo refers to the, the covers of those novels were gotcha. typically yellow to set them apart. They would be murder-type mysteries, pretty gruesome, lots of sex, lots of almost, I guess you could say, the Italian version of the Philip Marlowe-type stories, but not at all gotcha. like that. It kind of occupied a similar place on a shelf. People who just wanted cheap entertainment, wanted to read something gruesome with sex and blood and, and murders and mystery in it. And then those books basically spawned a genre of film that was started out being based on those books, some of them literally based on particular Giallo books, and then went off on their own. The films developed a styles of their own right. and uh, really became one of my guilty pleasures. I really like Giallo pictures. I like them for so many reasons we're probably going to get into. <laughs> but if you were to sit me down on the evening when it's really cold outside and I'm really warm inside and I'm just feeling like some mindless fun entertainment, I have two options. I'm either going to put on a Godzilla movie or some kind of large Japanese monster film or I'm going to watch a Giallo pick. I just love the style. I love the time period. I love the feeling that those movies give me. They're just almost time capsules, really, of a particular time in a particular place, much in the way that Godzilla films are for me right. as well. You know, those giant monster films, I like them not just because of a rubber guy in a big suit and the corniness of that, but I like seeing Japan right. of the 60s and 70s. Uh -huh. It's really fun for me. And so that is where uh, sort of my love for these this goes. And then as a filmmaker... I love the style. I love the color. Giallo picks are really known for highly saturated, almost comic book type imagery. Absolutely. And Argento, a major innovator in this sphere. He, along with Fulci and Mario Bava, are really about the three crown princes of the Giallo genre, and each of them had their own different take on it. Bava, even before Argento, really. Uh, with a movie called The Girl Who Knew Too Much, which is kind of a take, obviously a, a literal takeoff of Alfred Hitchcock's The right. Man Who Knew Too Much, and that was shot in black and white, and that was arguably one of the first Giallo pictures to come out. But much like this film and some of the other Giallo movies, they do have a sort of Hitchcockian sensibility yeah. to them, wouldn't you say? Oh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> that was just a big old lesson for me. I didn't know any of that stuff. <laughs> um, I didn't know the origins or anything. And Argento is really the only name that I'm really familiar with that you mentioned. And so when I think of these types of films, I think of a very specific type of style. Uh, and I guess, you know, is that strictly Argento or, or were the others kind of similar? And They did play off of each other a bit. So there was a style that you can kind of identify. Like if you go and see the other Giallo picks, especially the ones that were done right, I mean, almost in the same year, there were like 60 some of these, you know, produced in Italy. But if you look at some of the better ones, you'll see they're all copying off of each other considerably so that the, with, with some modifications, obviously each director puts their own spin on it. But yeah, they're very similar in the fact that they tend to be highly stylized. This right. was a, a really great medium for directors and young directors to experiment with, and also heavy on violence, heavy on really gruesome violence. Yeah, I mean, what I'm really familiar with uh, is more the style and the imagery, which is kind of the draw for me. You know, this isn't a genre that I've really immersed myself in. Like I said, I've only kind of seen Suspiria, so I, I was really familiar with the violence and the gore, the really saturated colors. I mean, that's what I think of, you know, that really, really bright red uh, in the blood that doesn't look real. It, it looks more like paint or, or, yeah. or something, but it, it looks, it's still gruesome. And it, it comes across as really artistic, which is the other thing that I think about these 
films. This one for me, being the first time I had seen it, there were times when I found it a little bit hard to follow. But I wasn't bored because the imagery is so striking. It almost looks like you're looking through a book of stills, uh, of still shots. Yeah. Um, and, and I feel like he does that quite a bit here. I, you know, I don't know about his oeuvre of work, but he, he took time with shots. You know, he gave you an opportunity to kind of look around. And it it looked, you know, like like a photograph in, in some places. He, he really Made, he took full advantage of the scenery, which throughout was just really cool to it's look amazing, at. Amazing, isn't it? Right. Um, really interesting use of color. I mean, not so much. It's it, it seemed a lot. I don't really remember Suspiria that well. Um, <laughs> I, I more so remember images. You know, like I remember lots of, of really intense colors, blues and greens and reds, and entire scenes being lit in those really strange colors. I remember specific images. Like I remember a scene in a swimming pool. I think, and I. I I think I remember an old lady sitting in a chair, you know, just like strange, strange images that uh, I can recall. I don't even, I kind of remember what happens at the end, but more so I can just picture it in my head. And I have a feeling that that's, you know, how I'm going to remember this too. I'm going to remember it more for the imagery, I think, than for the story. Not that the story was bad, but uh, the style, I think, was more appealing to me um, here. Well, do you remember Suspiria also not making a lot of sense, necessarily? It kind of, yeah. yeah. It's kind of dreamlike and, and whatnot, which I think works in the horror. You know, we were even talking about this last week with Phantasm, which, again, the director of Phantasm, Don Coscarelli, had mentioned that he drew a lot of inspiration from Argento and Suspiria. Yeah, you can see that Yeah, you here. definitely can. But again, on that, that aspect where the motivations of the characters are not really realistic. The clues and leads that they follow are pretty out there and don't make a lot, a lot of sense. Right. And that was one of the things that I was thinking about um, was, you know, it. now that you've told me about the, the type of book that it comes from, that makes perfect sense to me. Because we're not going for necessarily really intricate, woven plot you know it's this centers around a mystery it's a murder mystery in fact i'd really classify it more as like a psychological thriller than a horror film yeah i think it's the excessive gore and violence that people a lot of times think of it uh put it in a slasher type genre right but you're right it is there's a lot more plotting around and trying to figure out who done it in this right and and you know, I call it plot holes, call it convenience, uh, deus ex machina or whatever you want to call it. But it was just funny to me that the trail never went cold. Like <laughs> there's always like, something, right? You, you, you think, Oh darn it. You know, they, they had a clue and you know, they were onto something that looks like it's going to go cold. Oh wait, here's something else we discovered. Some tenuous little thing. <laughs> right. You just, there, there happens to be an interesting drawing on the wall or all kinds of little things that realistically, well, don't look for realism. No, I guess. you don't. Yeah, and again, it's it's like watching Phantasm, like we said last week. I don't think you you look at this movie to pick apart it from a plausibility angle or try to figure out how this really happens in real life. You just kind of go with the feeling and right. you go with the mood. And that is, you asked, that is totally typical of the giallo genre. All of these movies are pretty much like this. You've got to watch them. A lot of times, like you watch a lot of older European films, just watch them for the mood. Don't try right. to pick the part plot apart because they're not as concerned about plot. Right, and you and know? for me, um, you know, like like I told you, I'll I'll watch anything in the horror genre that I can get my hands on, and uh, so watching this film, and you know, if we watch more in the future, it's almost like an exercise in horror history. Like you kind of, it, it kind of feels like it's. A required textbook in your in your study. I mean, you, you can't ignore. It. I, I don't know if I'm as fond of it as you are, but you can't ignore it. You know, it's it's kind of an integral side aspect of of the horror genre. And if you want to immerse yourself, um, you really have to kind of give it a go. And I think it's worthwhile. I mean, it's interesting. It's different. Fun. Well, if you look at some of the parallels, you see, for example, one thing that Argento was really passionate about. <laughs> was to find interesting ways for people to die. Because right. he felt like people can't really relate to getting shot with a gun. Your audience just can't. But uh, getting stabbed with a knife, getting smashed in the face, right. getting, oh my gosh. And 
that leads to some really gruesome imagery that's very reminiscent of the creativity that goes into something like uh, Friday the 13th or Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, sure, absolutely. You know, interesting kills. It's not just, you know, one guy running around with a gun gunning people down or, or even a knife. I mean, there are some stabbings and things in here, but there are some really visceral things. I, I read that. I think I must have read the same thing that you do, that he wanted the audience to have some frame of reference for what these things might actually feel like. And there was one death in particular in the film that really got me, and I think we've talked about this before <laughs> but there's something about mouths you know like y- y- your your teeth being pulled or, or you know smashing your teeth into something and um, that featured really heavily in one of uh, <laughs> one of the murders here and I was I was kind of cringing over uh, in my seat so he was successful in that pursuit mouths mm-hmm. eyes and ears they're yeah. the places Ugh. you don't want to go and, the and these guys will go there all the time I, I think there was an eye thing in Suspiria I may be wrong I about that. Remember. But I will tell you that Fulci, and you might have seen Zombie, it's called Zombie 2. Yeah, no, English. I haven't seen oh, it. Oh, we should, we should watch that. That's more straight horror. And Lucio Fulci is from this same sort of bank of, of directors. Mm-hmm. And he took sort of a lot of giallo sensibilities into making these more straight horror films, a lot of zombie-type pixtures. And Zombie has a, a lot of these really excruciating-type kills Ugh. in there that... You know, even though the movies are fairly low budget, they're extremely yeah. effective at getting to you, maybe more by the content than the special effects. Maybe. Um, I don't know. The The effects are pretty pretty cool. I mean, again, we're looking at a different time frame. It's, it's kind of like looking into a window in the past when effects were just very different than they are today. You don't have CGI. You know, it's all practical, done with makeup and dummies and, and fake blood. And, and you can tell, but <laughs> you so appreciate the effort that went into it. Like I said before with the blood, it doesn't necessarily look real, but that doesn't make it any less effective. I mean, you can tell that the flesh that's being cut into is not actual human flesh, but you've also you also <laughs> can tell that they've gone to every effort they can to make it look as real as possible with these practical effects, and you just kind of have to appreciate the artistry and effort that goes into that. And, and it does still give you that feeling, like you, you relate to it a little bit, yeah. like, oh, oh yeah. man, like me getting cut with that knife. Uh, it's not like you're going to see your, somebody get stabbed in a Hollywood movie or Honestly, even in some of the earlier Friday the 13th movies, they weren't close-ups no. of knives hacking away at your skin. Right, and, and like ripping through the flesh. I mean, it's not just, you know, one jab through the, the chest or something. It's, you know, really, you see the flesh pulling and ripping. And yeah, oh man, it's very effective. And it's really odd and unusual even for this time period. I mean, there were people that were experimenting with this. Obviously, even before this in the 60s, you had Herschel Gordon Lewis, the godfather of gore who started putting gore in films, and he'd go all out. But it looked extremely fake. It looked extremely bad. Even still, in a more mainstream film, you're not going to see that level, even at this era, until you get into these odd, esoteric genres. So for a film like this to do so well, and to have at least one fairly big-name actor in it, you can imagine an audience not knowing what they're getting into. Right. Coming in and seeing the way that this film just almost takes delight in leering on those really gruesome moments up close and personal for long periods of time, and you know it's coming, and you're kind of cringing at it. Oh yeah, you? absolutely. Absolutely. Definitely a physical response. What, what was this rated? That's a good question. Um, you know, I <laughs> I think it probably had to take cuts to get anything less than an X at this, yeah. at this time period. You I know? think, you know, I, I just briefly glanced at uh, the page on IMDb and it, it may have said X. It may have gotten an X rating here in the States. I don't know. Well, and <clears> he <throat> did have to cut it considerably to release it in the States. Uh, some of it was for content. A lot of it was just for time and to make the story move a little faster. And the the version that we watched was a 128 original cut version. It was kind of interesting. So so here's how these Italian movies and pretty much all Italian movies these periods except for the major productions worked this way where they would shoot it in English, mm. but they would also shoot it without sound on set. So the characters are speaking English, but then later they'd go into a sound booth and actually record their sound for the movie. Okay. So the lips match 
Almost. Right. <laughs> you can tell that the lips are forming the same words, but they're not quite lining up. Well, see, now, and that was something that I wondered, because you had kind of explained this to me before, because I didn't know. Were the same... Because it didn't sound like it. Were the same actors doing both dubs? Were they... Sometimes, and sometimes okay. not. Uh, right, in this there case, was... probably not, especially yeah. for Mark, the main character. There, Yeah, and, and his girlfriend, uh, Gianna, she, her voice, when she was speaking in English, seemed pretty high and feminine, and then when she was speaking in Italian, it was still not masculine, but a a much lower timbre. So I wondered. And I wondered, you know, were these actors bilingual, or were they just memorizing the English lines? Do you know? You got it both ways, honestly. And then the spaghetti westerns, you see this a lot, and a lot lot of those actors, especially the lower tier ones, they didn't really know English, but they would learn it phonetically, and they'd say their English, and it didn't matter, because they're going to be dubbed over by somebody else. Right. So, we're watching this film like this, and that's already a little distracting. And then because of this special cut that we have, uh, the missing, about about 20 minutes of missing footage is was inserted back in, but they don't have the original English dubs for those 20 minutes. So every now and then, Mm -hmm. the scene would switch to Italian and we'd get English subtitles, which was nice for us because we could tell which scenes had been reinserted that had previously been cut. And it was really good for me because I hadn't seen this movie in a while. And the movie took on a slightly different tone with the new footage in it. I can... Yeah, I wondered what you thought about that um, because you, you commented on it as we were watching and I could tell that it seemed like, excuse me, there were some scenes, especially uh, between um, the main guy, Mark, and I say his girlfriend. They're, I don't, they're not really boyfriend and girlfriend. They just kind of have this flirtation. It, it really, and, and there it seemed like a lot of the stuff between them was the stuff that got cut mm-hmm. and a lot of that stuff that was in the original Italian almost bordered a little bit on rom commy you know like it was <clears throat> if you know if, if they recast this you know like in the 90s or something an American remake you know I could very easily see like Julia Roberts and Nick Nolte you know like <laughs> it's this kind of you know they're working on an investigation together but they're also flirting and joking around and she's um, coming on to him and he seems more interested in the investigation right. but he's still giving it back but there's some light comedy there. I mean, it seemed like it was intentional, and it seemed like a lot of that was what ended up on cutting room floor. So, I mean, is that the case? That is, yeah. Mm -hmm. The first time, you know, the film version of this that I watched had none of that in it, and so there were implications that they were sleeping together, there were maybe a bit or two where they'd have a little bit of banter back and forth. But these lengthy, almost five, six minute scenes of them arm wrestling to see whether men or women are stronger. <laughs> right. they're, they're, you know, and again, it's it's a product of its time as well. There's a lot of this sort of women's lib stuff inserted right. in there, and this arguing about the genders, uh, which you see in a lot of films of this time, was not in it at all. So it was a lot more economical in telling that mystery story uh-huh. uh, and not so concerned with the relationship of those two characters. And honestly... I don't know if that made it better or worse. It's funny. I know that you were kind of looking forward to it. Todd's been wanting to watch one of these movies for a long time, and, and things just keep coming up, or you know, <laughs> we, uh, we switch at the last minute for whatever, and we finally got around to it, and, and uh, he told me before that he hadn't seen this cut, and I could tell you were excited about it. And it's funny, because for Christmas this year, just you know, a few weeks back, I got really super excited because I got the uh, Blu-ray of Legend with uh, Tom Cruise oh, yeah. and Mia Sarah, uh-huh. and I was all excited about it. It because they have an uncut director's cut restored version that not only has additional scenes but it also uses the original score that the studio felt was too traditional and not like hip and cool enough so I was so excited to see it and then we watched it and I thought yeah, I like the original better. <laughs> and, and I think a lot of that probably had to do with just nostalgia because I, you know, I was such a fan of that movie when I was a kid. Um, so to see it altered in any way, I think, mm. you, whether it was for the better or not, I think just to see it altered in that way, it just didn't sit well with me. So I wondered if the, you kind of had the same experience. Well, for me, the movie took on a little bit more of a dreamy quality. It took on a little more of a straight horror uh, with an investigative element to it without those scenes. Some of the other scenes that were inserted were these scenes of the police station and this police chief kind of guy yeah. who was a little over the top and flamboyant. I noticed almost all of their shots were in Italian because I don't really remember that much at all. I actually remember the police being pretty much out of the picture. Mm-hmm. It seemed like he was forced to deal with this murder that he had happened into on his own. And now to see that the police were a little bit more involved somewhat and that he was co-investigating this with this girl and they were kind of doing a back and forth on it uh, definitely made it more of a 
again, a detective-y kind of movie. The relationship stuff, the extra stuff that was clearly, you know, reinserted, tonally it was a little bit different, but I thought that it actually kind of was good for the characterization because otherwise I think especially the uh, reporter Gianna is uh, uh, an investigative reporter um, I think that her character probably would have felt a little bit flat had it not been yes. for these and really and again we're always going to get into spoilers here but for whatever reason and I don't know if this would have been the case with the original edit she was a big red herring for me. I thought that it was her all oh. the way up until the end, or at least that she was in on it. And I, I was see that. And I was trying to figure out all you know that it seems like there are some reasons that maybe it couldn't be her coincidentally, but I was really, really convinced that she had something to do with it, and it she didn't. So uh, if anything, it was a, a good example of uh, misdirection. Well, and I'll tell you, her stabbing uh, toward the end of the movie bothered me more than it did before because she was some now now a much more involved character that I cared about and thought, uh, you know, she just she was just cute and right. kind of fun and funny. You know, <laughs> I liked her. I have to say, I liked that aspect of it. And and I'm the guy who I don't watch this to be a horror film. Like I said, I watch it like I watch a Godzilla movie. I love the settings. I love the feeling. I love the style of the atmosphere. I like the costumes. I like the way that the European women of the time wore their hair and their makeup and stuff. Well, and all of that seems so stylized, too. Like, there are so many cool settings. You know, there is this outside, and this is all supposed to be taking place in Rome, but I read that most of the exterior shots were actually filmed somewhere else, another uh, Italian city, I believe. Oh, okay. Um, but there's, like, a huge, like, kind of, I guess, courtyard area or square area outside the building where the main character, Mark, excuse me, where he's the main character and, and where he lives. That's where the first murder takes place. He's, you know, outside. He's going home, but he's outside and he, he witnesses this murder. Well, anyway, this this square or whatever, I mean, it's just huge. And it's it's totally devoid of people except for... On one side of it, there's a bar. It's like the blue bar or something. Yes. And uh, it is modeled after a really famous painting. Do you know? Yes. I mean, I can picture it in I my don't head. know the painting, but everybody listening would know the painting. It's sort of a bar on a European street. It's dark outside, but you're seeing in through all these windows. The glass windows, and you see the people sitting inside. And I feel like, didn't it have like the neon signs? Mm-hmm. Or maybe just when, when we were... I don't know, in the 90s. I remember seeing it everywhere. It's a really iconic piece. It is. Um, And so that was really cool to look at. There's one point... uh, He goes to investigate all over the place, but there's one point where Mark goes uh, to this big mansion. And I have no idea. You know, I don't know about architecture, but it's this, you know, beautiful big mansion. And we get both the exterior and the interior, which seem to match up. You know, it seemed like they They just scouted these really cool places. And like I said before, he really took his time, like, showing us around (laughs) that that investigation scene, arguably... Too uh, long. (laughs) Arguably too long. But the, the visuals were so neat. I did kind of find myself feeling like... I feel like I'm supposed to be catching things. Like, these are little clues or things. And I don't think they were. I think that he was just trying to set up the atmosphere Mm -hmm. and show off these really cool sets. And so, like I said before, it's almost like you're looking through a book of photography. Every shot um, is really beautifully set up. That makes it worthwhile to me. Visually, it's, it's beautiful. You know, I think it's interesting that you say that because I think that he does intentionally set this up throughout the film to where the background you are maybe sometimes paying more attention to the background than you are the foreground because you're waiting for something to happen you're looking for something that Mm -hmm. might be coming around the corner a little shadow sometimes you're rewarded with that sometimes you're not but I feel like through that framing, he's always trying to keep you a little on edge. Like, maybe something significant is about to happen. Because the whole movie really revolves around the significance of noticing something. Right. And of uh, missing a visual. And a lot of Argento's giallos, the bird with the crystal plumage is another perfect example of this, where they follow this formula where the man, just kind of an everyman, it's it's very much a kind of a Hitchcockian formula. Mm Mm-hmm. Where the everyman, in this case Mark, stumbles upon a murder and then gets wrapped up in it. And he has information that nobody else has because he was the only eyewitness Mm -hmm. to it. So he's down with his buddy Mark, and his Mark is a drunk. He works at this blue thing. and um, um, I'm sorry, Carl's a drunk. He works down at the the blue bar. Mark is a jazz pianist, works at the conservatory. And they're both pianists, Mm -hmm. and somehow they know each other. Anyway, uh, they hear a scream, and uh, Mark says, I don't know what that could be. And Carl looks up and sees that there's a woman uh, who has uh, basically been pushed through a pane of glass uh, and, and... 
killed. Right, right. It's it's Mark Marco the is the the main one, the guy that Marco, sees, yes. that witnesses it. And right, like you said, he is just kind of this every man who just kind of accidentally or coincidentally gets tied up in this thing. Mm-hmm. This this woman who gets murdered just happened to live directly below him. She was a psychic, which I thought was going to play more into yeah. the, the plot line, but it really ended up being insignificant. Except for that, that's kind of what sparked her murder. She was giving like a seminar where she was demonstrating her abilities and uh, someone in the... She was saying, I can't predict the future. All I can do is kind of read thoughts and read energy and whatnot. I can feel death in this room. I feel a presence. A twisted mind sending me thoughts. Perverted, murderous thoughts. Go away. Mrs. Ullman, here. You have killed, and you will kill again. Uh, and she was going to give that information to a reporter or something. And so that's why she had to be killed. That's what sets the whole thing in motion. But uh, Mark just uh, happens to witness this. And so then he's the one the police are investigating. And the re- when the reporter, uh, Gianna, shows up, she takes a, a photograph, a close-up photograph of Mark as the eyewitness and publishes it on the front page of the paper. <laughs> Thank you, Gianna. Right. So, so now he's in it. You know, like he kind of has to try to investigate this stuff to try to figure out who the killer is for his own safety because he knows that he could be at risk having been the only eyewitness to the crime. And he's really light on Gianna for that, to be honest. And he's a Londoner. He's in uh, Italy teaching. Working, right. Working, yeah. So he's foreign. And when he goes in to see the body, he walks through the hallway. And this is something that there was an extra scene in the movie that really hammered this point home. After the police question him, for about four hours, he says. He's back in that courtyard and he's talking with, with his friend Carl again. There's something else that's funny, you know. It's very strange and I don't even know if it's true or not. But but when I went into her apartment first, I, I, thought, I, saw, I, I thought I saw a painting. And then a, a few minutes later, it was gone. Now, how could that be? Maybe the painting was made to disappear because it represented something important. I'm sorry, what? Something important! And Carlos says, uh, you know, sometimes when you see things, what does he say? Uh, Something about it, you know, it's it's halfway between dream and reality, but it's it's, it's important. important. Right, yeah. your mind marks it because it's important. And it's funny because as he was walking through the hallway, right, you know, he's seen the woman uh, get smashed through a window and killed, <laughs> which I, I guess is, is an Argento thing. Like, that's kind of a, a yeah. trademark of his. Um, he goes up and is, you know, before he actually comes upon her body, he's walking through a hall, and she's a psychic, and she's got all these strange uh, paintings, which are kind of these grotesque groupings of faces, ghostly faces. And it's funny, because as he was walking through, one of them caught my eye, and I thought, that one looks different, but you only get just the tiniest yeah. glimpse of it. And then later, when he said something was different, I, I thought, I know what was, you know, something was different. That picture looked different. And that ends up being a really, you know, that's that's the pivotal clue in the end. Yeah. But it takes him going through all of this roundabout investigation <laughs> to finally get back there. And really, ultimately, to just remember. Like, yeah. <laughs> like all of the investigation <laughs> up to that point really is fairly insignificant if he just would have had that memory earlier that's in the movie. So true. That's so <laughs> So true. And you'll find that same thing, I think, with a bird of the crystal plumage. You know, I mean, it's it's funny. It's almost like he has to clear out his head. You right. know, he's got to go through this process of mental decluttering and, and, <laughs> and push everything aside so he can get a clear vision of it. And, of course, revisit the same crime scene, which you think he would have done earlier. Right. You know, is kind of what you're getting at. I mean, it goes through a lot of different stuff, uh, but he meets Gianna, and they form a friendship, and there's some really cute scenes between them. Right, and they have, you know, a a mutual interest. You know, he wants to find out who this killer is, and and so does she, because, you know, this is her big story, and and she wants to to get the story. And so, you know, I feel like it would be really tedious to go through all of the plot points, because it's really just a lot of investigation. Um, And it's it's investigation that doesn't make a lot of sense. Right, like, somebody mentions at one point, oh, 
I heard about a haunted house once. Yeah, like, there's yeah this... because the killer plays a like a musical, like a child's musical yeah. song before he's coming. Right, right, right before the murders, he plays this. It's like a almost like music boxy, but it's um, clearly you know a children's song. And at one point, somebody who's kind of helping them with the investigation says, "Oh, this woman wrote this book about hauntings," and um, and it's they said that at one point before some murder, they, they heard children singing, thinking it was the ghost in the house. And it's all those kinds of really implausible <laughs> connections that just lead him from one location to the next. So he calls Gianna and he says, you know, find out uh, who the author of this book is. I want a visitor. Well, then we jump immediately to this woman who we've never seen before. It's her. It's the author. And she gets dispatched next. So every time they get a new clue and they're going to a new place, it's almost like the killer is one step ahead of them, mm-hmm. which is why I thought it was Gianna, yes. because he is he always tells her first. Yeah. Um, and at that point, I thought that she was the only one who knew that he was looking for that woman. Now, I after we watched, I, I looked up on IMDb, and apparently there was a point of view shot where we were supposed to know that the killer overheard that conversation. Mm-hmm. I missed it. So um, I was thinking, well, she's the only one that always knows where he's going, yeah. um, so it must be her. But really, the the killer was just keeping very close, keeping a very close eye, and, and was kind of remaining one step ahead of them all along. And there are, you mentioned the point of view shots, there are a lot of those in this film, and I, lo- I love that about this, and that is again part of this style i think that it serves a couple purposes it really keeps you on edge because there are moments where you're not sure if you're just seeing a sort of a voyeuristic camera angle or if you're seeing through the eyes of somebody else right and don't it's both at at different times it is and so you're not really sure i mean you kind of get before the murders you almost always get one of those pov shots but just because you're getting one doesn't necessarily mean it's leading you where you think it's going to exactly <clears throat> and i think it also makes the the kills a little more disturbing because it really puts you behind in almost every kill in this movie you're through the eyes of the killer at some point right uh maybe approaching them maybe as you, as the knife is being raised or something you're seeing these hands out in front of you almost like you're right. playing a third person shooter yeah. or a first person shooter yeah. you know uh, and it's it's a little unsettling to be in that position I think psychologically it um, is but you know I, I think it's also a technical thing you know they, they can't show us who the killer is of course <laughs> so we've got to you know either they're going to have to do some interesting things with lighting or, or you know keep it really in shadow or only show really specific angles or go the POV route where yeah. we are seeing from their perspective and so all we really ever see of the of the killer are these gloved hands which by the way were dario argento's hands and all Mm -hmm. those shots and then every once in a while we'll see the killer from the back uh and the killer wears the black or brown like rain slicker Mm -hmm. uh, and boots and that's it very nondescript so uh you know there's really no knowing based on what we see who it is Uh, and and frankly I was very shocked by the ending. I didn't see it coming. However, I didn't think, oh, that's so stupid. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because I kept as I kept thinking it's got to be somebody we know. It's got to be somebody in the film that we know. And it kept people just kept kind of getting t- clicked off the list. Oh, I guess it can't be him. Oh, I guess it can't be her. Who is left? Yeah. And, and by the end, I was starting to think, oh, it's just going to be some random killer. And we're going to just get some random explanation for why all this is going on. And... To a certain degree, it is a little bit, but there's also enough connection that I thought, okay, well, maybe had I been paying a little bit closer attention, I I maybe could have had a little bit more hint at this, but I wasn't disappointed. I was surprised. Yeah, you don't feel cheated at the end. No. That, oh, come on, please. Uh, Even though the the process leading up to it is rather convoluted and ridiculous, uh, at the end of the day, the the final explanation is satisfying. Right. And, and there's, you know, that's one of the interesting things about this, too, because he moves around, the main guy, Mark, moves around so much, talking to so many different people, there are kind, there is kind of a pool of interesting characters to choose from. I mean, you've got... Uh, Carlo, who's the drunk friend, but you think he can't be the killer because he basically witnesses it. I mean, he, he just walks away from uh, Mark seconds before he sees that first murder. Mm-hmm. Um, then you've got, uh, uh, we find out, um, Mark discovers that Carlo has a transgendered lover, which would have probably been a little bit scandalous uh, at the time. So you think maybe that could True. have something to do with it. Although it's surprisingly downplayed in the movie. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, I was kind of surprised. Impressive. Mm-hmm. And then there's a bit of a red herring too because there are a few of these odd little cutaway scenes where it's like you're in the killer's apartment or you're on his desk or something 
and you're seeing that person put on the gloves, you're seeing them play with some toys. Yeah, ch- little children's toys. It's it's odd. And there's one moment where the killer puts on some mascara. Mm-hmm. Uh, eyeliner. Cu- uh, yeah, eyeliner. A couple of times. Heavy black eyeliner. Which, again, there's a scene uh, towards the end after Mark investigates this um, this big mansion and he finds some clues there. There's, like, some drawings on the wall or whatnot. And then he ends up finding a corpse. Um, well, as soon as he makes those discoveries, he's hit over the head. And when he wakes up, he's laying in Gianna's lap. And she's got heavy mascara yes. on. And I thought, I knew it. I knew it. I had it figured out for so long. I was, you know, kind of patting myself on the back and ready to tell you at the end. I knew that all along. <laughs> and, and she is acting pretty odd in that mm-hmm. scene, too. It's, uh, it, you know, it's kind of weird. But then they continue investigating. And pretty shortly after that, uh, she gets stabbed. Still, I mean, her attack, her assault occurs completely off screen, which is the only one, right, mm. that takes place off screen. That's very true. And the brutality is is far less in her case. She's just kind of stabbed maybe a few inches in the abdomen where these other people have been beaten, you know, up against walls, slashed with meat cleavers, um, all kinds of really gruesome stuff. So I was still thinking, you know, maybe she's just playing it up. Maybe it's that, oh, I can't be the killer because I got stabbed. See? Um, but like, really, like scream or right, something. Right, right. <laughs> um, but no, uh, it's not. I don't even know. <laughs> you know, without making it perfectly obvious, I don't even know how to, to introduce... Uh, uh, who the killer is, and maybe at this point there's no sense in in trying to hide it. But um... it's interesting because there's a, there's a, there's that red herring reveal where I guess we go in. Well, we go through this process, and it's clear to us. And it's, and one thing we neglected to mention was during the beginning of the credits, there's a scene that's inserted in, in the middle of the credits, right. like the credits stop. This scene happens, and then the credits continue, and then the movie starts. Right, and in that scene, you just see it's almost psycho-esque, you know, just this uh, silhouette, you know, shadow of a stabbing, and then... um it's Christmas time. There's right. that music playing, the children's music playing and, in the background. And then you see what appear to be a child's feet walk into frame, but that's all you see. And then that's it. I mean, mm-hmm. I, it's, it's obviously significant, but you don't know. And then the clues that start to add up, you know, the somebody mentions the haunted house, so he goes and looks... Um, in the library for this house. Right. And then they, they find a book that has the house in it, and then he goes around asking all these, like, About gardeners. The flora right. in front of the house, which right. is smart, you know, right. the days before Google, this it's, is what you had to do. You know, they're, they're in uh, Italy, and, you know, there's these, like, tropical plants, and so he uses that to track that down. Then in the house, he investigates the house, he, he notices that the, the, the plaster is cracking in a place, <laughs> and he very meticulously like <laughs> gets rid of the plaster and restores this what looks like a children's drawing underneath and the drawing is of a child standing in front of a christmas tree and then what appears to be a larger figure looks like a mean figure yeah, it does. Um, who has been, you know, stabbed. There's a big gash and there's blood everywhere. And then as he walks out, more he doesn't see this, but more plaster falls out and we see that there's actually somebody else in the picture too. Now that's an interesting moment, isn't it? Did you think for a brief moment that this house was supposed to be haunted or... I really didn't. I mean, I don't think that would have been out of the realm of possibilities, especially since he does end up finding a corpse there uh, at some point. But I I felt like the movie didn't really go there. I I felt like the lore of the house being haunted was more just atmospheric. It was was a bit out of place uh, for just that big chunk of plaster to fall. It wasn't like it was tenuously teetering there on no, edge I, when he left. I think he like must have slammed the door or, or something oh. and, and that made it fall off. But again, then I'm thinking, oh well there are you know, there's another figure. There's gotta be somebody else involved. It's not the kid or whatever. And the the kid's holding the knife in this photo, in this in this drawing, and so you're thinking the kid just stabbed this person. Right. It's not until that piece of plaster comes off that you there realize there's somebody this is, else present yeah. who is not stabbed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what does that lead to? That, that leads them... Okay. That so, leads them to uh, the landlord's <laughs> The house. caretaker. Yeah, the caretaker of this house. His daughter, who I don't know what's going on She's with her. She's creepy, too. And that was another weird sort of somewhat, I don't know, supernatural. He keeps saying that she's like a witch. What is it? You little witch. I told you not to do that again. <laughs> now off you go. Go on. Um, says she likes to hurt animals, and yeah. there's a really disgusting part where she leaves a 
a little lizard with a pin through it, mm-hmm. uh, which is a bit of animal cruelty. Right. Kind of do it's with writhing. That it's a little uncomfortable. In fact, I think they may have cut that. I think I may have read that they cut that in some releases. There were a couple. Yeah, that and there's a little bit of a shot of a dog fight for some reason that we saw. Right, which um, I didn't really understand what the purpose of it was, but it was really gruesome. I mean, it was clearly a real dog fight. <laughs> um, yeah. Kind of scary. And again, it was just a clip. But anyway, so there's this little girl who's it's been established that she's weird anyway. Then she has that same picture like she's copied that picture from the wall onto you know a piece of paper and hung it up in her room because she's weird anyway proudly so, hung up in her room above right. her bed with everything else um, <laughs> and so logically one would think oh she's the caretaker's daughter she's snuck in there and and seen it but no she hasn't seen well, it but there she, she couldn't have because it was plastered over before he revealed it right unless it, she did Went it like within after, the day or two right? that's true but no, <laughs> one day at her school, she had gotten in trouble and her punishment had been that she had had to clean up the archives and she had been going through old drawings of old students and she had seen it and she had copied it down. Which makes a lot of sense that she would right. choose that one to copy. And then it also makes a lot of sense that they go to this big fancy school that has this huge archive room. Oh, now wait a minute. <laughs> they break into the school. They break they, in everywhere. Forget about, you know, going in the morning and telling the folks, hey, do you mind if we have a look at the archives? It's for an investigation. Uh, uh, no, they break the window to right. get into the school. <laughs> and they go in and they start looking around and they find the archives and it takes all of about five minutes in all of these archives because they're divided by year and subject area. <laughs> and drawings are which, right over right. there. <laughs> <laughs> all, of, all the drawings that we save from the children who have gone to school. They here. would have no idea what subject matter or year they were looking for, <laughs> but apparently that's helpful. At least it's organized. Um, and lo and behold, she, she Gianna, hears a noise. Um, and goes off. Again, I'm thinking, oh, she's going to set something up. She's conspiring with somebody. But Mark finds the drawing, and the name is on it. So now he knows who it is. And uh, and it's Carlo. It's his uh, buddy, his drunk buddy, uh, who, I'm, yeah, who yeah. Shows, shows up with the gun and points it at him. Well, so now what are you going to do? Kill you. I'm sorry, because I like you. But I have to kill you. I told you to stay out of it. It all sort of makes perfect sense, and so if you're thinking about it, you and you remember that scene from earlier, you could piece in your head that Carlos a crazy killer. When he was a kid, he must have killed his father or something. Right. And uh, drew a picture about it and blah, blah, blah. And for some reason or another, he murdered this woman and is murdering others. Right. But even, <laughs> even at that point... You Every, everybody yeah. like the the guy Mark seemed to be oh gosh I can't believe it was my friend Carlo and then like he talks to the police well first of all Carlo tries to, the the police arrive because I guess Gianna had called them I guess right before mm. right before she had gotten stabbed that's right they, they arrive in the nick of time in the nick of time and and uh, Carlo takes off running and then there's a horribly gruesome scene of his death I mean the inept police officers fire off like six or eight shots of him and totally miss just hitting everywhere around him but then he steps out into the street gets hit by a garbage truck and not only does he get hit by it but there's like a hook on the outside of it that he gets hooked on and then it drags him around the city for a good minute or two they swing around the corner wax him on the curb and then you hear a car rush and and at this moment Craig goes oh no (laughs) <laughs> this is gonna happen. Yeah, and sure enough, a car tears over the front and runs right over his head. Right over his head. And it's like uh, I don't know. Do you remember the Toxic Avenger? Did you ever see no. that? I, obviously, not on the same level as this movie, but very similar in that you get that up close and personal mm-hmm. view of the, the head, head getting crushed by right? the uh, the wheel. Now that it, is what makes this a horror movie. Yeah, <laughs> I think right. that's what brings it into this right. other realm. Fair enough. <laughs> So anyway, apparently, mystery solved, and uh, Mark is just going to go home, and he's walking along, and you can just see all of a sudden on his face, wait a second, realization. And I feel like it's even in voiceover that he says, No, it's impossible. He was with me when Helga was killed. It couldn't have been him. He had nothing to do with it. Why? 
So he decides to go back to the original crime Maybe scene. Maybe I should go back to the original crime scene after all and right. see if that thing that I thought was important for me to remember is still there. He goes back, he walks down the hall, he realizes that the reason that the, the painting that had caught his eye looked different and he had mistakenly thought that it had been removed. It wasn't that it had been removed, it was just that it looked different and it was because in one kind of little offshoot hallway, the direction that he was walking down the hallway facing him in that offshoot hallway was a mirror that was reflecting a painting opposite of it. So it looked very much like the other paintings because it was just a reflection of them, you know, uh, in a frame much like uh, the others. But what he realizes is that there was an actual person standing there. And I, I knew it. I had seen it. I knew there was somebody there. Now, we have gone all this way without even mentioning the name of the, without even <laughs> mentioning who the killer is, which I feel like is kind of a cheat, that I didn't know how to introduce it without making it totally obvious. So why don't you explain? Well, um, <laughs> Carlo has a mother that we only get to see because Mark is looking for Carlo to ask him some questions and he goes to find him and she's the one who points him in the right direction. She is sort of a crackpot lady. But, she, it, but funny. But like, funny in a, in a humor. She comes across as comic relief. Right. Like uh, she's she's the crazy old lady. You know, she's kind of forgetful or has, you know, certain notions in her mind, but we laugh at it because, you know, of course, Mark is, is annoyed and is trying to be efficient and get things done. And this, be this crazy, yeah, this crazy lady's kind of like trying to flirt with them and engage with them. And I used to be a movie star. Look at me on the walls. And I mean, she, she seems a little bit off her rocker, but in a funny yeah. way. Yeah. <clears throat> and, uh, and he keeps saying, oh, I'm a pianist. And she says, oh, are you the engineer? And he's like, no, I'm the pianist. Oh, you also play piano. That's great. She keeps thinking of him as the engineer. Mm-hmm. And it's funny. Yeah, it turns out that uh, she uh, was the killer. And that scene that we had seen earlier of Christmas and that was referenced in the wall with all these dra- child drawings was actually her stabbing her husband in the back because she was clearly a little nuts. Right. And he wanted to take her to the hospital, psychiatric hospital probably, and she he didn't want to go. So Christmas time, as he is approaching his son, Carlo, she comes up behind, stabs him in the back, and then... He pulls the knife out of the back and just sort of tosses it in front of him, and Carlo picks it up and holds it up. And so that is really the image the that image. was traced, mm-hmm. was Carlo holding the knife uh, in shock, his dad dead, and then his mother his to mother. the other side. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of that happens, you know, it's it's that reveal moment. It's like, okay, we've led you up, we've shown you her face. You know, you see her face again in the mirror um, as he's walking through we see who it is, and then they're like, okay, here's the scene that we're going to explain it. Flashback. Right, flashback. <laughs> and that's kind of cheap. I mean, as it far is. as storytelling is concerned. But it didn't bother me because I was so surprised and because I thought I never would have thought of her. I, yeah. I, I mean, she she kind of seemed like an extraneous character. But then when it was revealed, I thought, that's plausible. I yeah. mean, we, we've known she was crazy from the get out. Exactly. Um, Carlo has been depressed and drink, you know, like drinking himself to death almost. It, apparently what has happened is that he's been trying to watch out for his mother, cover her tracks, yeah. you know, keep her uh, reined in or whatever. So it would make sense that he was having a really hard time with that. And, you know, what we've seen of her, she was unhinged. She didn't necessarily seem violent, but it doesn't seem like a stretch of the imagination that she could be. No. And I didn't feel cheated. In fact, it felt like a really unexpected and kind of fun twist at the end. I agree with you completely. I really do. Uh, There's a great little uh, scene there where they have a bit of a showdown and they go out into the hallway and her necklace gets caught in the elevator and he takes advantage of that opportunity to hit the elevator to go down. And uh, it's one of those old-fashioned great elevators, so it's easy to do. And it just pulls her head clean off. Right. (laughs) Whoa. I have to say, I was actually a little bit disappointed. I wanted to see a little bit more of her being crazy, running around chasing him with the meat cleaver. It happens really fast. It does. Um, She does get one hack at him with the meat cleaver, and he goes down to the ground. And it's kind of when she's coming at him again that her necklace gets uh, trapped in the the gate of those old-fashioned elevators. That must be a super expensive necklace, because I've never seen a necklace... uh, 
not break right. uh, at the slightest <laughs> opportunity. Right, right. <laughs> but that's it. You know, she gets decapitated. We don't even really see that. I mean, we see the chain cutting into her neck, which is a, an effective Pretty and gross, and gross yeah. effect. But then we just kind of get the point of view of seeing the chain get pulled and it finally gets pulled all the way through. Of course, it's covered in blood. And then the last shot, which goes into the credits, is Mark, I guess, kind of his face kind of hovering over the puddle of blood and just reflected in this bright puddle of blood. And then the credits roll. And yeah. that's it. You know, this movie has a lot of great imagery. It's obviously done with lots of care. It's very stylized. It could come off as an exploitation film were it not for it being so artistic mm-hmm. and so well done. Uh, because it is so gruesome and brutal and it just mm-hmm. seems to revel in that. But there's some real style there. The notion that the killer wears the black gloves and the raincoats. You're going to find that in every Jalo right. movie that you see. But in this film in particular, they ha- he had some really fun moments. I really like the... Every time that it seems like Mark gets on the phone, he's in an extremely noisy location. Yeah. <laughs> to the point where you can see the visible frustration on his face. Right. And there's a really cute moment where he is calling her from a cafe. And... You know the scene when somebody's calling a news reporter and on the other end of the line, the news reporter's in this super busy office with typewriters going and it's just super loud. Except this time on the other end, he's also in this super busy, loud cafe. What the hell? What the hell you want to do that for, putting the bloody machine next to here? What's the matter? Nothing, nothing. (laughs) Will you try and find her for me? The name is Rigetti. Rigetti. I mean, she's bound to know where the house is. She's probably got some other information, too. God damn it, you still have to pay. Look, I'll call you back. I'll call... I will call you back. I can't hear. The address. Look, look, can't you just leave that alone for Christ's sake? And it's an interesting juxtaposition of the typewriters and everything going with the pinball machine right. that's next to him whacking and this guy behind him who's trying to pour cappuccino and, and you know, he's getting stuff blasted in his face. I, I thought there was just some really neat touches, some comedy in there. that uh, Right. I thought so, too. And that's not, again, I don't remember it really well, but it seemed like Suspiria was darker and a little bit more serious. This had a little bit more of a light-hearted nature to it. And, of course, Suspiria was kind of dealing also a little bit in the supernatural and I feel like it was even more stylized than this you didn't have as much saturation of color here as it was utilized uh, yeah. in Suspiria um, it was it was still there but it was more subtle it would be color more in the background yeah. as opposed to the entire scene being lit in that one strong color but yeah little touches of humor uh, really interesting style choices you know it's interesting too this movie really plays on the idea of vision. It plays on the the mirror thing and the painting thing. Obviously, ends up being a big deal at the end, but if you go back now, having watched it through, knowing how the ending was going to go and looking for these little touches in a cinematography way, mm-hmm. um, he's really done some interesting things. His whole choice of having the blue bar there, which is so iconic of right. a painting, a very famous painting that you don't miss it, is an interesting backdrop to have when the clue to the entire thing lies in a painting. Well, and the people, like, even, you know, it, it's live action, but even in silhouette, it looks like a painting. Oh, they're totally <clears throat> staged like the painting. And even yeah. when, you, when you're inside, there's one scene where you're inside and uh, Mark and Carlo are, are duetting on, on the piano. Everybody's just standing or sitting around very still. Uh-huh. Um, like there's a woman standing, you know, very picaresque, uh, you know, next to the piano. And then there's... Uh, guys at the counter who might move to take a drag of their cigarette, but that's that's kind of it. Yeah, Um, Really cool, cool stuff. There's an interesting touch when he visits the mother for the first time, the crazy woman, Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. and we're laughing at them. But they're having their conversation, and between them is a mirror on the wall. And it's just a nice little touch there Hmm. that forecasts what we're going to see. And of course, the child's drawings playing into it as well. There are paintings on walls. And when he goes down the hallway in the empty house to break down that what's, you know, the door to the old room has been plastered over Mm -hmm. there. He's going down a hallway that's very reminiscent of that original hallway that it was in the murdered woman's room, except all of the paintings on the wall are missing to the point where there's like a little 
pattern around them where they've been removed from the wall and all Very the walls are dirty. Very good catch. Interesting. It, I hadn't noticed. That makes perfect sense. It's a big clue. And I'll bet there's... I bet if I knew more about art and things, I'll bet there are a lot of different uh, touches like that mm-hmm. in this film. Even in the very beginning when the psychic in the very first scene is going crazy because she thinks there's a murderer in the uh, person with dark thoughts in the theater, we get our first POV shot of the... who we will later learn as the killer standing up and sidling his way toward the bathroom and he goes into the bathroom turns on the water and the camera slowly pans up and there's a mirror but the mirror is dirty right, and it's right. broken and stuff so you can't see who it is mm-hmm. just a lot of playing with that that uh, that shows some real uh, it, it makes a second watch of this film uh, really fun yeah i hadn't no i mean i kind of noticed you know the obscurity of the mirror i just kind of felt like that was just to hide the identity but now the the connection makes perfect sense i think you're right i think on upon uh, another viewing we probably pick up on a lot more speaking of mirrors i have a question for you because i couldn't figure this part out uh the author of that book that they go to see when she gets killed the killer turns on the bath water and turns on the basically burns her alive right. essentially in the bath water and fogs up her whole wall in there is a mirror and mm-hmm. she falls down close to it, reaches over and starts to write something in the fog. And then it's it's almost this horribly horrible moment when the window is open and the fog starts to go away and you wonder if anyone's ever going to mm-hmm. see what she wrote. And then the other guy uh, who was the one of the psychics, right. I think his name was Giordani. Yeah, that's right. Who's kind of going off on his own little mini investigation, following his own right. little leads in here. He eventually gets killed, but he visits that house. He's the one to check out the body. Or where the body was. Mm -hmm. And he gets the idea, and he fogs up the room and sees Est written on the wall. I have no idea. I couldn't make it out, and I I don't know what it was. It looked like, I think it was Italian for is, the killer is, because the subtitle there said the killer is. Now, I'm not sure if we're supposed to believe that she finished writing, but it was out of the frame, and we we didn't get to see it, but he did. Right. Because when he leaves the room, he... He seems like he's put it all together. Right? Am I wrong about this? It did kind of seem like that. But I don't know. It's odd because he didn't even know those people. No. Right? Like, so, or neither did the author. So how would they know? I, I, I mean, maybe if, they, if she was going to say the killer is a woman or, yeah. or something like that. I don't know. But I, I don't know. I couldn't figure it out. But that would be the only reason he would die. Right. right. Is if he, the killer believed that he learned something at that scene. And just her writing is on the right. wall and nothing else uh, wouldn't have gotten him anywhere. Right. Maybe, you know, uh, Carlo was just trying to tie up loose ends. Loose ends, it know? could be. I don't know. Yeah. But no, sorry. I, I didn't know either. <laughs> I can't clarify for you. Well, and his death was pretty creepy. It was a little um, Saw-esque with, yeah, with, with this. Yeah, teeth. Ugh. Oh, and that doll. Oh, right. I forgot about Remember that. Remember that creepy doll just running right towards yeah. him? Uh, wow. Yeah, that was weird. <laughs> you weren't expecting Mm-mm. that. I mean, you did have the motif with the killer playing with toys and things, but we had never seen them like employed in the no, murders or before. The, the level of sophistication right. that they had sort of planted this large wind-up doll right. there. But it was, a, it was a him. creepy prop. Oh, my gosh, yes. You know, uh, the guy who was Mark in this movie is uh, David Helmings? David Hemmings? Did, did he look familiar to you? A little bit, yeah. But it seemed like whatever I knew him from, he was probably older. I don't know what. what... Have, have you ever seen Peeping Tom? I don't know Hitchcock. No. Uh, close. It's like the British Hitch. It, people call it the British Psycho because it came out around that same time, right, and right. it was a serial killer movie when you know nobody else had ever really made a serial killer movie except Hitchcock. Yeah, I've read about it. I haven't seen it. Yeah, he's Thomas in that movie. That's that's another really good, creepy <laughs> atmospheric, but British film. He was all over British TV um, and film. He did look uh, somewhat familiar, but I don't know. I don't know. Great acting, I thought, from him especially. Uh, it's hard to tell with everybody else because you're not sure what's mugging and what is right. just getting kind of flubbed right. by the... The switching back the and dubbing. forth. Right? Yeah, the dubbing and the <clears> switching. <throat> and uh, apparently the woman who played... Uh, the killer was indeed a famous actress. We're talking yeah. like back from the twenties and thirties. Right. And the, the, it seems that the photographs that she referred to on the walls were authentic photographs of her. And, uh, if that's the case, she was a very beautiful woman in her youth, still striking and a very interesting look. You know, this, we saw that we think this was like her second to last film. Yeah. Um, even though she died like in the nineties. Right. So. Right. She still, I mean, she was in it. She had, a, she had a great face, for a character, uh, and she played the character really well. I like her performance in hindsight is probably my favorite, uh, just because she was playing unhinged 
all along, but never really casting any... She seemed innocuous. She didn't seem like she posed any kind of threat. Yeah. I never would have guessed it was her. Um, so I, I think there must have been some subtlety there, whether it be in the script or her performance or both. But I really enjoyed her performance. It was good. So your first Giallo pick, outside of Suspiria, but more right. hardcore Giallo, do you think you'll see another one? I'm sure I will. I'm sure you'll make me. <laughs> <laughs> No, you know, I wouldn't say that it's my favorite genre, but there's so much that I appreciate about it and so much that I respect about the artistry that goes into it. It may not, you know, just like I'm not big into rap music, but I can appreciate, you know, those who are really skilled at it and 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 their artistry. So, yes, I will watch them again and and I'll go in with an open mind because uh I liked this movie. It's certainly not one that I would have picked to watch on my own, but I, I'm glad that you picked it. I'm glad we did it. Well, you know, if you're ever, if you ever have an evening where uh, you do feel like tackling this again, and now that you kind of know what to expect because they are very similar, check out the Bird with a Crystal Plumage, also by uh, Dario Argento, and it is also. I think fantastic. Maybe that one and Deep Red, I had a very hard time choosing which one we'd watch tonight. Will do. Will do. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. Uh, if you enjoyed this, please share it with a friend. Find us on iTunes and on Stitcher and like us on Facebook. So don't hesitate to give us a comment if you like what you're hearing or you want to contribute a little bit more to the conversation or give us a suggestion. Yeah, sure. Why not? Movie to watch. We don't plan these things out very far in advance. Nope. <laughs> what are we watching next week, Craig? I have no idea. Neither do I. <laughs> Until then, I'm Todd. I'm Craig. With two guys and a chainsaw. Mm-hmm.